The meaning is obviously that the opera is not going to end until that huge soprano um, does her aria. The problem with it for anybody that knows about opera is that an opera is not going to end with somebody who has not sung before singing. Welcome to the Common Errors in English Usage podcast. I'm here with Paul Bryans, author of the Common Errors in English Usage website and book. I'm the editor of that book and host of this weekly podcast, Tom Sumner. Hello, Paul. Hi, Tom. Welcome to the Common Errors in English Usage podcast. Uh, we're going to start the podcast right off the bat. Uh, unfortunately, a week where somebody who made a lot of common errors, or what people assume to be a lot of common errors, uh, Yogi Berra passed away uh, a few days ago. And that's the, t- yeah. that's the time frame we're recording this. And I thought it'd be a good time to just talk about Yogi Berra and what he meant for uh, the English language. Of course, he was a great baseball player, and baseball fans will remember all of, all of that. But as the New York Times said in their in their uh, obituary, their headline was um, he was ninety percent skill and the other half was wit, <laughs> uh, and that was based on an expression that's commonly attributed to him. Uh, he himself is said to have said, uh, "Baseball is ninety percent mental and the other half is physical," which is a perfect kind of yogiism in that it sets up a, an expectation. Uh, when you say 90% of something is this, uh, of course, the natural way to go is the other 10% is something else. But that was typical of a yogiism, or came to be known as a yogiism. Uh, it sets you up to expect one thing, and then it turns a corner. And in the end, you're left with an expression that in a way is completely illogical, but in another way makes total sense. And it's usually pretty striking. Um, you know, it's almost like his, his brain was saying, you know, I really want to emphasize the importance of the mind in playing baseball. But when he got to the second half of the sentence, his brain was telling, well, you know, it's really not all mental. There's a lot of physical work in there, too. And so he went to the more conventional half and uh, just switched gears in the middle of the sentence. Right. And it created something that was very striking and memorable. If he had said it, baseball is half mental, it's half physical, or if he had said it's 90% mental and 10% physical, uh, there wouldn't have been anything particularly memorable about that. But it became memorable uh, once the once the kind of the rule was broken. He he uh, he set up uh, uh, set a new standard. Unfortunately, um, well, you could say whatever you want to about yogiisms, but you mentioned uh, yogiism in your entry on. Uh, deja vu uh, right. towards the end of that one. Uh, shall I read the entry on deja vu yeah, in, in its entirety? So you say in, um, in French, deja vu means literally already seen and usually refers to something excessively familiar. However, the phrase sans accent marks was introduced in English mainly as a psychological term indicating the sensation one experiences when feeling that something has been experienced before when this is, in fact, not the case. 
If you feel strongly you have been previously in a place where you know for a fact you have never been before, you are experiencing a sense of déjà vu. English usage is rapidly sliding backward toward the French meaning, confusing listeners who expect the phrase to refer to a false sensation rather than a factual familiarity, as in, Congress is in session and talking about campaign finance reform, creating a sense of déjà vu. In this relatively new sense, the phrase has the same associations as the colloquial same old, same old, which is increasingly misspelled as same-o, same-o by illiterates. It seems like it's deja vu all over again is a redundantly mangled saying usually attributed to baseball player Yogi Berra. Over the ensuing decades, clever writers would allude to this blunder in their prose by repeating the phrase déjà vu all over again, assuming their readers would catch the illusion and share a chuckle with them. Unfortunately, recently the phrase has been worn to a frazzle and become all but substituted for the original, so that it not only has become a very tired joke indeed, a whole generation has grown up thinking that the mangled version is the correct form of the expression. Give it a rest, folks. In that little section there at the end about Yogi Berra makes, just drives home the point of what a, what, how influential he really was in uh, shaping how the language has been used in, in the last uh, 50 years or so. And also the fact that you say it's usually attributed to Yogi Berra points to uh, he really, his language usage really became um, sort of an industry unto itself. Uh, there were many things that he was said to have said that he did not say. And he even... <clears throat> acknowledged this in the title of his own book, the Yogi book, I really didn't say everything I said, uh, which is <laughs> kind, of a, kind of a clever way of, of employing one of his own rhetorical tricks of, you know, uh, you know setting, up the th- setting up the expression, I didn't say everything I said, and, and ending it with the, the surprise ending. I, 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 uh, so I, I don't think you can, you can really... Um, put a measure on it but there are just so many there are certain figures over time mark twain was one of them who will have a lot of expressions and quote quotes uh george bernard shaw is another one who, shakespeare shakespeare many things are, are that are said to have been said by them or were never said by them right i'd like to point out that um, that particular entry in the book is a, a good example i think of my general approach to descriptionism and um uh, language change in the way that I, I don't say that one or the other usage is wrong. Um, I don't say that they're all okay. What I say is some people get confused by the new usage, although that new usage has older roots. So I'm trying to give a nuanced description of the various usage communities and how they all flow together. And then you make your choice, which one do you want to follow? But it is a mistake to think that déjà vu all over again. Oh yes, is that actually part, an right. original. <laughs> and it, it's also a mistake uh, to do what the Associated Press said when Yogi Berra died. Right. So um, uh, the Associated Press ran the story: New York Yankees Hall of Fame catcher Yogi Bear has died. He was ninety. Yeah. Well, Yogi Bear was the cartoon character that was named after Yogi Berra. Um, 
so I don't think he, I don't think Yogi Bear actually reached the age of 90. No, but he had a best friend called Boo Boo, as is pointed <laughs> out by the people that noticed this. And uh, so I don't think that was a coincidence. No, that's right. So, it, so the headline I'm reading is Yogi Berra died, not Yogi Bear. AP makes a boo-boo? Right. <laughs> okay, yeah. well, well... Why don't you cite the name of that? Hey. Sure. This is this is from iMedia Ethics, the Media Ethics News and Investigative Reports website. Right. iMediaEthics.org. Right. Well, that could be another yogiism some way if you twist it around the right way, if you were clever about it. I'm not sure how. Anyway, uh, Yogi Yogi Berra passed away. I I think his his uh, the whoever said those things that he said. Uh, the point was. Uh, if you make a mistake, it's not always incorrect to make a mistake. How's that? Yeah, it's uh, it can be quite entertaining. And again, he had a good sense of humor about it, which is important. Yes. Because uh, it, it wouldn't have worked if he'd gotten angry every time somebody noticed that he'd said something peculiar. Mm-hmm. Uh, you want to use a few more of his examples that are famously connected with him? Sure, let's talk about those. I uh, now there was a there was a New York a story in the New York Times covering um uh some of these and the article was behind the yogiisms those said and unsaid uh written by Victor Mather and Katie Rogers it appeared September 23rd in the New York Times. Um and and they they do an interesting job of breaking down what people have tried to find out and for attributing some of these famous ones. But what have you got? What are some of the famous ones you found? Well, the first one that they listed in their article is It Ain't Over Till It's Over. And about It Ain't Over Till It's Over, they say, by most accounts, Barra said this about the 1973 pennant race. Barra was managing the Mets, who were in fifth place at the end of August, but rallied to win the National League East. Barra did say, you're not out until you're out, according to Dave Anderson, who quoted Barra in the New York Times column when Barra was managing the Mets in 1974. The first time the Times cited the quotation that endured was in 1982, when a candidate for Connecticut Attorney General, Joseph I. Lieberman, you remember him, a future United States senator, attributed the quote to Barra. Over the years, Barra was often incorrectly credited as saying, it ain't over till the fat lady sings, which is a reference to opera. You right. So uh, that's one of the things that I said that I never said, Barra told the Times reporter in 1998 when he was marketing his book on yogiisms. Now, uh, so this is one that he apparently never said it ain't he never said those words it ain't over till it's over but it's interesting that that's the phrase that caught on rather than you're not out until you're out which is entirely uh entirely grammatical and uh kind of boring but it ain't over till it's over uh, with anytime you employ the word ain't you better be making a good point with it and i think that's a good example of um uh, of one that catches on they oh, went over to the fat lady sings. It doesn't seem to have a, a clear origin. I've seen discussions of it, and nobody knows. I, the meaning is obviously that the opera is not going to end until that huge soprano uh, does her aria. The problem with it, for anybody that knows about opera, is that an opera is not going to end with somebody who has not sung before singing. 
that's that's just out of the question. And the fat lady is almost always going to be a big star, and she would have had several arias earlier. Um, so it's kind of peculiar wondering what was going through the mind of the person who first invented that saying. I'd love to know. I'm glad Yogi Berra wasn't the one who invented it. Yes, who 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 coined that one. Um, it's it's offend, it offends the sensibilities on many levels. Yeah, uh, if you know anything about opera, it, it it's it's offensive because it's it's patently incorrect. <laughs> if you wait for the fat lady to sing and then you think it's over, uh, no, <laughs> that's probably going to be somewhere in the first act. Um, I think I remember Kate Smith singing the national anthem though at the opening of a baseball game one time. Oh sure, yeah, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Uh, and, and, uh, it's a, it's a sort of a gross stereotype that, that all opera stars are, are overweight. Yeah. In fact, that's gotten to be a really controversial issue today because more and more the, uh, the idea of having, uh, the physical presence or appearance of the performers correspond more to the characters they're having is beginning to prevail. And there are some famous examples of very famous singers being told, I'm sorry, you're just too fat for this role. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a, a production of um, La Boheme in which um, there are, of course, supposed to be starving young artists in the garret in, in, uh, in Paris in the 19th century. And the tenor is just very well fed. He's, he's chunky and um, he looks like he's a long way from starving and yet he's supposed to be telling the story and to me it kind of ruins it. But um, that's, that's something that's, that's very alive today and of course, stereotypes like fat lady singing in operas just never go away. Despite, no. <laughs> and the world can change, but the saying won't change. Right. Uh, so the next one that they point out from the New York Times article is, um, when you come to a fork in the road, take it. Now, uh, he, it was, I've heard this story before, too. Um, apparently, um, he was giving his friend, Joe Garagiola, another baseball player, directions to his house. Now, there's a blog, The Quote Investigator, that found this expression in a newspaper from 1913, well before Yogi Berra was born. Um, So the expression, when you come to a fork in the road, take it, is not one that he came up with originally, but he may have said it and he popularized it. And the story I heard was that his house was at the end of a road and there were two roads. The road did split at some point. But it didn't matter which direction you went because the two sides met up again. I think it went around a tree, a large tree or something like that. So you come to a fork in the road, it didn't matter which direction you went. Just take the fork and just you'll meet up again and continue down the road. And, of course, that reminds us of the road less traveled by and the huge controversy over what that poem means. And I really don't want to get into it. But just in case somebody thought we were missing the obvious, there it is. (laughs) Okay, right. Yeah. Yeah. it's deja vu all over again. Now, we here's talked the, about it. We talked about that. And um, so uh, he had told William Sapphire in 1987 that he never said this. But later in life, he was known to take credit for the quotation. Uh, now, the quote investigator, the 
same blog previously mentioned, uh, found it in newspapers as far back as the 1960s, but it was not tied to Yogi Berra. So we're not we're not sure about that one. Sure sounds like it's something that he could have he could have um, said. This is this is one of my favorites, and it's I, I like it because the logic is. It's another one of those where it makes no sense, but the logic is perfect. And he was talking about a restaurant in St. Louis, according to the story. Um, He grew up in St. Louis, and there was a famous popular neighborhood with popular restaurants called The Hill. And there was a restaurant up there that he had gone to, and and he stopped going there. And he said, um, nobody goes there anymore. It's too crowded. Uh, this reminds me of you know when you when you read some of those stories about um, you know popular cities the ten ten best cities in the U.S. to move to uh, on a budget and they'll list the ten cities and then uh, everybody this list gets circulated on you know websites and magazines and newspapers and everybody picks up the story and the next thing you know those ten best places are not inexpensive anymore (laughs) and they're they're not so off the beaten track Um, i I saw a cartoon uh on the day that his death was announced uh showing him at the gates of heaven and saint peter telling him uh, nobody's sent to hell anymore it's too crowded (laughs) (laughs) uh i hadn't seen that one yeah that's that's a great um, so we're not sure. Let's see. Uh, for at least the past 40 years, Bear has been credited with this remark. Um, articles by the Times in 72 and 73 included it. Bear's wife, Carmen, confirmed to William Sapphire in 1987 that Yogi Bear had said this about a popular restaurant, but provided no further details. The same bit, though, predates the citations to Bear appearing in The New Yorker and elsewhere as far back as the 1940s. So again... Again, something legend. Yes, something legendary um, attributed to him. Very probably, almost certainly not originated with him. Uh, I can't think and hit at the same time. And uh, this is something that he said to his coach, his hitting coach, uh, Charlie Dressen. And that's that's very easy to imagine any baseball player saying that, actually. I can't think and hit at the same time. Yeah, and actually, to me, it's um, the kind of advice that athletes and performers often get. You know, be in the moment. It's very Buddhist influence. Mm-hmm. Uh, don't let your conscious mind interfere with your action. You, you train and you think about it while you're training, but then when it comes time to really do it, you just have to abandon the mental aspect of it and do it. It's, it's not the same thing as he can't walk and chew down at the same time oh not at all no uh-uh. um another another quote attributed to him that i could well s- imagine may have originated with him was if you can't imitate him don't copy him and he was he was known to have said that to a young player who was trying to emulate the swing of the slugger frank robinson another great baseball player if you can't imitate him don't copy him uh, 90% of the game is half mental. Now, did he say that? Um, in his in his own book, Yogi Berra did take credit for that one. And um, 
uh, another fun one. He says, I want to thank everybody for making this day necessary. Uh, he was quoted as saying this in 1947 when he was a rookie with the Yankees and he was honored at Sportsman's Park in his hometown, St. Louis. Uh, and that's one I guess we can attribute to him. But it's interesting that some of the, some of the more uh, popular phrases that are attributed to him can, can be traced back to, uh, to a point in time where they could not have possibly been originals. But um, but we go on, and we continue to use Yogi Berra, and it's con- Yogi Berra quotes, and it's inevitable, like Mark Twain, like like so many other um, uh, originals, things are going to be attributed to them, and they're not necessarily going to be their own words. Speaking of Mark Twain, <laughs> I shoehorned an entry into my book that probably isn't uh, an English error so much. is his saying that everybody has a dark side that he never shows anybody. Mark Twain was known to have a very dark side uh, that he hid by not publishing his more pessimistic writings uh, in the last part of his life. But he says it's like the moon. Everybody's like the moon that has a dark side. They don't show anybody. Well, of course, that gets even more famous by the famous Pink Floyd album, A Dark Side of the Moon. Yes. And uh, and there, you ask the average person in the street, I think they would say, yeah, yeah, Dark Side of the Moon, that's a thing. There is no such thing as the Dark Side of the Moon permanently. Uh, the moon rotates, although it keeps the same face toward Earth all the time. It changes in orientation to the sun. That's what makes the phases of the moon. Coming right up, we have a solar eclipse, or a, a lunar, sorry. Coming right up, we have a lunar eclipse on Sunday, and uh, the, what what happens with an eclipse is the sunny side gets dark, so technically you could say that the darkest side of the moon, if you total up all the total hours of darkness, would be the side that faces us, the one that we see all the time, because the other side never gets eclipsed by the Earth. Mm-hmm. But um, a lot of people have very feeble grasp of astronomy and the how the planets relate to each other and so on and uh, Twain unfortunately was one of them well I think that that points again to the uh, the idea of finding finding logic or finding meaning in things that are not at all technically true yeah. some expressions just force you to make a meaning out of them even if you can't logically make the connection that'll do it for the common errors in english usage podcast send your comments questions and feedback to common errors podcast at gmail.com thanks for listening